and welcome back to Snake Roy Boy and Pickle in the Morning. Guys, you see who's hosting SNL this Saturday? Elon Musk. Oh, he smells. P.U. Oh, I don't know. I think he's a genius. Have you guys invested in Dogecoin? Uh, I love my doggies. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. And did you see who's hosting SNL? Miley Cyrus. Okay. Uh, Roy Boy, I think you mean the musical guest. Oh, well, I won't uh, be listening to the music, if you know what I mean. Oh, I like Miley and her wrecking balls. Okay, but why isn't it Grimes? Uh, I don't know who that is. Oh, well, you know, uh, I think she's too busy with the kids. Uh, and if you know what I mean, <laughs> I can't pronounce his or her name. You know, I'm sorry, listeners, if I'm too offensive for you. Are you going to cancel us? Are you going to cancel us? Are you? Are, are you? Uh, uh, do you hate uh, fun stuff? Just deal with it, listeners. Deal with it, listener. If you don't like fun stuff, deal with it. You know, if you I don't might, like comedy, I might get in trouble for it. this. I might get in trouble for this, but I'm going to say it. <laughs> What's that pickle? Dill pickle pizza is delicious. Get out of here. He went there. What? What? He went there. Now, Pickle, I hear you had a dream this week about stuffed spaghetti. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, so let me tell you about stuffed spaghetti. So, you you know, uh, you know, beefaroni? I do. Right, we Very all, well. We all love beefaroni in, nowadays. In my one-room apartment alone. I right. eat it all the time. Right, right, right. It's, it's, it replaces my mother in my fantasies. So, it, it, I had a dream where spaghetti was like the thickness of beefaroni. Wow. Amazing. But it was hollow, and it was stuffed with the beefaroni sauce. Sick. Who wouldn't want to have stuffed spaghetti? Let me ask you this. Now, chefs, don't steal the idea, but what if it were parmed? I could go for some chicken parm stuffed spaghetti. Oh, yeah. How about that Miley Cyrus? She could stuff my spaghetti. Oh, Roy boy. Watch out, censors. Please don't cancel us. Welcome back, everybody, to The Square, Buffalo's premier podcast for... What are we the premier podcast for, Jim? Uh, Jock Peterson News. Jock, Buffalo's premier Jock Peterson, uh, the royal family, yeah. my stuff getting stolen, and news and culture. Shape-shifting badgers. Shape-shifting Snake badgers. business. Snake business, yeah. We're going to have a whole big list of stuff. Um, we are back at it, and we've got... The good doctors with us, okay? These guys these guys are so good at what they do. They're not medical doctors, but if I was having a heart attack, I would go to Rusty and Jason. Right, yeah. Like I it, wouldn't go to a hospital. If, if I was on a flight and somebody was like, is there a doctor on this plane? And one of these guys was with me, I'd be like, yes, right here. Of course, we have Dr. Russell Weaver and Dr. Jason Knight. Gentlemen, how you doing? Doing well. Thanks for having us. 
Very good. Good to be here. I always loved it. It feels so rewarding to have repeat guests on here. It means like, like I feel validated. It's like, oh, these guys are really stupid, but I'm going to come on their show anyway. It makes me feel like <laughs> just like a little warm, like, oh, I feel you want to talk to us. Mm-hmm. So we're going to chop it up with the boys. And they also have pretty cool and pretty interesting op-ed in the Buffalo News uh, this past week. So we'll get to that. Um, Guys, what is going on in our wonderful, stupid city and well, region? Well, you're you're a teen beat, teen wolf, teen uh, heartthrob, teen heartthrob, Stefan Mahilu. Oh, turns out he's got more than one job. Is that is that right? Yeah, not only is he county controller and the sexiest man in Erie County, which you know, county controller, he does well. Well, the more pleats you have in your pants, in excess the sexier of, you of, of twelve hours a week or so. Uh, but apparently he's also out there serving papers during the middle of the workday. And you know what? So here's my thing with this. Cause like, it was like a, a, a like a political pay thing, right? Is look, I worked for the County and I served people with political papers during the middle of the workday one time or maybe two times. It wasn't, a, but you know what? I wasn't a countywide elected official doing it. I was somebody's toady doing it. And I did it during my lunch hour, so that way, like, okay, yes, I got paid for it, but at least it looked like I was doing it on my free time. <laughs> uh, the, this, you put in the, the extra effort. Right. Like, the supreme idiocy or just brazen arrogance of Mahailu to do it himself and do it during, like, regular working hours is just insane to me. It's sloppy, right? So these the serving of papers, what... For the listener and and for me because I don't really know, but what what kind of papers are we talking about here? Are these court summons or like what sort of thing would he be putting his little rubber? It's stamp not necessarily on? even a court summons. It just could be like notification that you are being sued. Okay, and you know it it could be as simple as that. That's what I serve somebody with. Uh, I I serve two people uh, at at various times when I worked for the board of elections. I mean, now you want to talk about places where like things that aren't supposed to be happening are happening on and off the books. The board of elections is a place for it. Doesn't, doesn't he have people who should be doing this for him? Yes. Like that's that's the point is he should, he should have people either in his office or on his campaign who could do this for him. There's no reason why he should be doing it himself. I wasn't doing it for myself. I was a 22 year old toady doing it for somebody else. It just makes me it makes me think that nobody at this point he's on such an island because he's such an asshole that nobody actually wants to even do the grunt work for him because they don't view him as like a viable path to any sort of actual political career. That would be my takeaway. You don't even have look, these guys can always find some sort of, you know, lackey or somebody who can do like the grunt work, but Stefan, I I have to say like, you know, a little bit sloppy in his political dealings in general, but it just strikes me as a you can't even find, like, an intern to do this. Yeah, he's, he's just a trash fire right now. Well, he also, he, um, with this Homeland Security Conference thing, Jim, you, you talked to me about this a little bit before the show. Yeah. What, what's, uh, what's going on? Did, uh, Rusty and Jason, did you guys see this about the Homeland Security Conference and Stefan's complaint about it? No. No? So there's a National Homeland Security Conference, and the county sent, like, six people to it. Now Buffalo hosted this conference like four years ago and got whatever 
economic benefit you get from hosting conferences. But is that why we, we need a new convention center? So that will keep coming around. Yeah, I think so. It's, it's specifically just for the Homeland Security Conference. Right. But they're trying to get the conference again. And like, whatever, like the Homeland Security nonsense, like it, it's a legitimate expense for the county, even if it's not what I, something I would prioritize myself if I was county executive. Right. Well, Stefan is like, this is just a political junket and I don't want to pay for it. Sure. <laughs> this is the same guy who this week got caught serving papers during the middle of the work week. And he's like, he's like, oh, this, this isn't real work. It's just a vacation paid for by the taxpayers. Whatever. Oh, boy. Whatever. I don't know. I, every, you know, I, it's like we got to talk. Like, we're like the leeches at the bottom here. We're, we're the worst of the bottom feeders because we're like talking about guys like Stefan or Robbie De Niro for for content and you know i i feel a little bad about that sometimes but also it's just like it's just so hilarious that we have to deal with these like little demons running around and having like an impact on our lives and just just the fact that like stefan mahailu is like a guy that i have to be aware of in my life in any way shape or form i'm just i'm morbidly curious about every shitty thing he does like i, I well re you know someone's related to stefan who feels the same way you do it could be worse could you imagine him at like Thanksgiving dinner? No, oh, it would suck. Do you think he even is invited anywhere but his own home? I bet he has a lonely Thanksgiving. Well, Denny's been closed the past year. Right. I, well, I was thinking about like, because like I've got a couple of weddings to come up to, going up this year, including yes. a family wedding. You're going to invite uh, Stefan as your guest? Yeah, I'm going to take Stefan as my plus one, too. Uh, wow. Uh, hey, Stefan, do you want to be my plus one? You, you know he'd be all up on there like flies on shit. Uh, is it, well, He's waiting for someone to ask him. Well, it, it, he'd, he'd probably be about it if it was in Hamburg. Mm-hmm. Oh, Ryan, you finally have a reason now to use that like picture of Stefan like with his, what was it, like the plaque? Oh, yes. There's like this great picture of <laughs> Stefan. Like he just looks like... I don't know, the proudest first grader who just read his first book, and he's like, yeah. and uh, Just the shittiest grin on his oh, face God. in every picture, holding up this plaque. Well, Again, with those p- big pleated pants, oversized pants. What, well, my favorite part about it is like he's holding this up like he, he's the proudest he could possibly be about this fucking nonsense certificate that his office printed. Well, you know, that, you know that smile that he has, that shit-eating grin, and there's definitely like... Twelve chins tucked in. He's just it's just sucked in by the gravity of his smile. But it, my favorite part is that he's all the way to the end on the left of the photo. Yeah, they pushed him to the they, end. Uh, <laughs> everybody else that they could possibly get into the picture was in there, and then they're like, "I guess you can stand on the end, Stefan." Ah, <laughs> uh, well, pivoting from one, he's the he's the Pluto. Yes, he's the uh, Pluto. Yeah. Of that, of that picture. Uh, pivoting from one local political personality that we, we love to talk about and admire and drool over to another one uh, that we just can't help but, you know, can't help ourselves with. It's, of course. Bree, is it, is it Nate Watch? It's Nate Watch! Nate Watch! Nate Watch! Wow, wow, wow. Yes, Nate McMurray. Um, not a political candidate. Recently, though, got a job. He got hired. He's got, he got work. Um, it, he's off the dole. He's off the dole. He's yeah. one, he's, <laughs> as opposed to all those other people who are like, I make too much money on unemployment. I don't need a job. Nate McMurray. <laughs> no, he wants to work. It wasn't with Samsung, was it? No, I, I think it was Burger King. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, he, um, I, I'm trying to find exactly where it is. I believe he it was like a, like a, a marijuana 
uh, liaison or something where I forget. It's I think it's for a, like a law firm. I'm trying to find the actual. Yeah. So you're saying he's not a drug dealer? Uh, no, he is. Oh, uh, I think that's the the, the point of this <laughs> is that uh, now with with MRTA and yeah. legalizing marijuana. Okay, Ho- Hogan Willig. Yeah, the oh. law firms are getting into the business. Mm. Yes, and they need all the best people. They need yeah, they need all the best people. All the stars are here. All the stars are here. He he's joining Hogan Willig, um, helped direct the expanded cannabis law practice team at a prominent local uh, firm. Um, he'll be based in their Amherst office, looking to expand its international business. And frankly, I can't blame them because if I was trying to branch out into international cannabis business, like Nate McMurray would be the, the face of it. Yes, you know, I'd I'd have him talking to the folks from Beijing. Uh, you know. Bhutan, I mean, really, anywhere throughout the world, mm-hmm. you're talking weed, I want Nate at the face of it. Is part of the negotiation, like, if he gets a big international client, is a tattoo involved? <laughs> <laughs> no, I wonder. Yeah. Uh, he gets the I love Hogan Willing tattoo on his chest. Oh, he's got to get the pot leaf tattoo. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Oh. We, we did offer him an unpaid internship to hire position on the Square Podcast, but mm-hmm. uh, he turned it down, evidently. Never heard back. Yeah, it's a real shame. So, yes, he got a job, and, uh, you know, we're, we're all excited for Nate to, to be back at work. And I am sad, though, for us as, um, you know, Internet users. I, I feel like if he's working more, he'll be tweeting less. Maybe. 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 Maybe he writes all his tweets at night when he's got insomnia, and then he just sets them to go out later. Oh, you think he has scheduled tweets? Yeah. Oh wow. That's that is a next level play. That would ex- <laughs> that would explain a lot. That's why they come every like ten minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also again no longer a political candidate of any time or at this time I should say, although the Buffalo News did go to great pains to note that he lost <laughs> three times <laughs> between twenty eighteen and twenty twenty for the twenty seventh congressional district seat. Uh, he did have an endorsement and he weighed in on the sheriff's race. He did. He did. He decided that while she might not look like a sheriff candidate to Jeremy Zellner, Kim Beatty is the person he thinks is the best person suited to be a sheriff's candidate or be sheriff in Erie County. Yes. Nate continues his proxy war against Jeremy Zellner. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see how long he keeps it up. But I, 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 I expect him to be endorsing Hormos Mansuri at any day now. Yes. Yes. Vote, vote Hormos. That guy that I just heard about two weeks ago. Um, yeah, no, I mean, sure. It means nothing to me. I guess it's good for Kim Beatty that there's a political figure in the area who is behind her, another one. But to me, it's just like, all right. Yeah, I mean, look, if I didn't pay attention to all the Kim Beatty stuff on social media and following them everywhere, I wouldn't have known about it. They're the only ones touting it. I mean, that's not true. I also followed Nate on Twitter, and, and he was like, yeah, I endorsed this person. And, there, and I was like, yeah, wow. In between that and a dollar, they can get a cup of coffee. <laughs> yes, yes. In uh, in other political news, not really news, it's it's kind of a slow news week. Even, even for us, like, crazy people who, like, follow this stuff, whereas most normal people just could not care less. Um, but for even for those of us who are dialed in to the local political scene. It's been kind of slow. I think everybody's waiting for the the summer and, you know, the races are going to start to heat up. But we did have a remarkable little tidbit from Twitter where the um, Erie County Dems, the EC Dems Twitter account, uh, sent out a tweet a couple days ago 
that uh, the tweet itself said four more years, and it was at Byron Brown, and it was a picture of a Facebook memory. So on this day four years ago, uh, Vanessa Glashevsky is feeling proud with Judge Betty Calvo Torres and five others, and it's basically like every political candidate who just completely like ate shit and lost because the Dems really don't know how to manage a campaign and Byron Brown, the only one who wins because nobody's actually really challenged him. So I just thought that was very funny that that was the picture they decided to go with, with even in the Facebook post that they're uh, pulling from, it says hashtag vote Vanessa, which EC Dems, I got to say, that's not the, uh, it's not the one that I'd be putting out there. Mm -hmm. You know what? I might vote for her this year anyways. I wonder, honestly, I wonder if Jeremy Zellner runs his political account, his Twitter account or whatever. You guys think he's got some toady on it, but. I, no, I, get, I, th- I think it's him. I think it's him. I got to believe it's him. You think it's a toady, right? Jeremy? Yeah, I think he's got somebody doing it. He's got some intern for ECDC doing it. Mm-hmm. But what if he dictates every tweet? But not re- doesn't read them. Yes. <laughs> Dictated, <laughs> but not read. Jay-Z. Ah, well, moving from the uh, inherently stupid political news. I just want to um, really honestly be serious for a moment. Um, Sanaya Dennis, uh, the Buff State student who uh, was missing, presumed dead. I, I believe that um, I believe the DA's office came out and said that, you know, they, that she believed uh, or they believed that it was suicide. Um, I think that was yesterday. Um, yes. <clears throat> yeah. We're recording Friday um, the seventh and and i think they came out yesterday and said that it was suicide i really don't have much to say on this it's just it's just tragic i just want to address it because it's you know a a story that has clearly been at the forefront of a lot of people's minds um it's it become it had become a national story because she had been missing for so long um and you know my regards to her and her family yeah i just want to as we mentioned last week you know we are in mental health awareness month this county or this country has come a long way towards mental health awareness and and treating mental health. There's still a long way to go. If you ever feel like you need something, you need somebody, reach out. There's there's somebody there for you. Make sure that you know you don't do you know you don't do anything and, and that you, you know you do look for help because there's there's always help to be had even if you think you have no one there's crisis services there's we we say we we blast out our social media after every episode reach out to us yeah okay i don't care i wish i was there to 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 help her in her time of need and and talk some sense Mm -hmm. say you know maybe i've been there before Mm -hmm. and there's a way out of this but please talk to somebody re doesn't that's why he doesn't give out social media right I, I would hope that uh, if if you were somebody who knew me and we were close enough, you could always reach out to me. But none of uh, none of these randos on the rest of the internet. I'll let I'll let Jim handle that. Yeah, please reach out to me though. Same here, Jim. And Instagram or or Twitter, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Yep. Yeah. Well, in um, in other local news, guys. So uh, sports, sports. We are the sports podcast. <laughs> we are the sports. We are now. We are, we are we keep briefly, saying we aren't re, but you know, it's just that there's so many others who do it, who do it better. And, yeah. um, we're just some guys talking about stuff, but sports is stuff. So we're going to talk about it. 
who else is excited for the Blue Jays, the Buffalo Blue Jays? Jason, are you a, are you a ball fan? Are you a baseball fan? I used to be. Who is your team? Red Sox. Ooh. So you're not anymore because they Ooh. suck or what? They're in first place. No, They're in first place? Disillusioned with baseball. Oh, like okay. I'm getting disillusioned with actually most sports, but baseball, the whole replay was the end of it for me. Replay and guys standing in the batter's box with full body armor on, just that was the end of it for me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. I, I grew up a Yankees fan, but it's like rooting for the house to win in the casino. Yeah. You know, it's just like, oh, cool. Not this year. <laughs> not, no, not not this yeah. year. R- Rusty, are you a Pirates fan? Uh, long suffering, and unfortunately, yes. Um, <laughs> uh. But but my seven year old, so so my son is a Blue Jays fan with the gear and everything, so he is he's ready to go. Nice, dude. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, it's all about the logo with him, so it has nothing to do with the team. He couldn't name you one player, but he likes the bird. <laughs> I mean. I like giving people the bird too, but <laughs> you don't see me wearing St. Louis Cardinals shit. Uh, uh, no, but starting May 13th, so uh, next week, Thursday, you can buy tickets for the first three homestands in Buffalo. The The very first one is against the Florida Marlins or Miami Marlins, I think they're called now. Yeah. Then the second one is against the Houston Astros. So if you want to boo cheaters... Here's your opportunity to perfect cheaters. opportunity uh, without driving very far. Yeah, without having to go real far. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and then the, the next home stand is against a little team called the New York Yankees. Mm. Um, and they're selling them in uh, groups of four. And then everybody's gonna be spaced out. And you have to wear your mask except when you're eating or drinking. And I don't know about you guys, but when I'm at a baseball game, I'm always drinking. I'll never so, have my mask on. So I, my I, my mask is basically just there as a chin guard. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty sweet. Even though, even though the Blue Jays were wildly hesitant against doing this uh, last year, uh, it turned out to be, I'd say, a pretty big success. You know, I, I know the uh, the Bisons. Obviously, they're their AAA team, but I mean, they really did like bend over backwards. It seems like to to make it like be a home away from home. And going into this season, you know. I don't think that uh, the Blue Jays had planned for Toronto and for Ontario to be on like fucking major lockdown still like they are. Um, so it's just a, it makes it makes complete sense and it's really cool for us. I feel I feel bad for the folks up in Ontario who you know are are living under like a weird police state sure. right now. But but good for us. We get baseball. I think the Square Podcast is going to be there this year. Oh, I, I think I, we're going to make a special appearance at a Blue Jays. Game. I hope so. That would be fucking amazing. Who do you think has the better baseball fans, Toronto or Buffalo? Oh, definitely Buffalo. Yeah. I th- do you do you think Buffalonians will fill the stadiums better than than Toronto? Absolutely. Obviously Toronto's a better market. Right. right? It's, well, it's a much larger market. Larger market. I, I it's think, a wealthier market too. Well. No, but every Okay, listen. Tor- Toronto is a hockey town and like they just their their stadium is terrible. All right, like uh, it was one state of the art though. It was one state of the art and looks like shit. We're going to talk about something else <laughs> that's state of the art and looks like shit in just a second. But it, yes, it was one state of the art. It, it's terrible. It's like an awful environment to go watch a baseball game. Yeah, I still had fun when I went there, but I was like, oh, this place sucks. No, Pilot Field and it and it's Pilot Field. Okay, mm-hmm. will always be better than than the Sky Dome. It'll always be uh, Duntire Park to me. Duntire Park. It's, it's, it's always North America Park to me. Get out of here. <laughs> Just go. 
<laughs> yeah, so we're 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 in for the Bisons. What we're not in for is um is weird redesign everything looks like a car dealership now business model. Guys, have you seen the redesign plans for Peg's place out in Orchard Park? Ryan, I know you have. I, I sure have. Well, Rusty and Jason, I, I don't know if you're familiar with this, but uh, I think it was Buffalo Eats, the at Buffalo Eats account, actually tweeted out something where it was like a proposed remodeling of Peg's Place out in Orchard Park. And for some reason, I don't know why every bar and restaurant like has to have this weird I'm looking at this thing like it's got a tower in the middle of it. It's got like a weird brick. I know I'm using weird a lot, but it just freaks me out. Um, what's up with this? Is anybody? Yeah, it looks like the cover of that Pink Floyd album. Yeah, right, where they where they had that factory, which I've seen that factory in London going on the on the train, and it looks exactly like that. It's like it's like a, a new brutalist style of of development. I don't know what the deal is. It's lazy. Every place is like that. It does look like a car dealership or, or light industrial type shit. Well, maybe I want an Audi with my meatloaf. Well, I, I, yeah. I mean, hey, that's that's it brings people in, right? You right. know, come for a beer and a meatloaf and mm-hmm. and leave with a Ford Explorer. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Or the Chevy Spec. There, okay. Okay, it's Peg's place out in Hamburg, Hamburg. Uh, and they and they do want to. For some reason, they want to enter into the brewery and distilling world, which is fine. I, you know, I thought years ago that that market was saturated around here, but time and again, I'm proven that it's not. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I, I think it's, a, there, it's an infinite an, market. There is an unending market for alcohol in this area. Yeah, like people's livers can just handle so much more than I thought. They I could. can't believe it, and and you know, I should have known this because every. Every like athletic type thing, five k, Buffalo Marathon, any any triathlon you do. Guess what? Guess what happens in Buffalo at the end, and even during the race, there's beer. Yeah, there's beer at the end. You get drunk. I don't think any other place is, is like it to to the extent it is here. I well, I mean, like like I, I one of my favorite things that I think about or, or I think about when I think about like drinking in Buffalo, I think about the the night before Thanksgiving. Sure. And like you know, like I'm not sure that the night before Thanksgiving is as big of a holiday in other cities as it is in Buffalo, where like Allen is basically shut down. I think it's a Western New York thing. Let's extend it to Western New York. It's I mean it's a big Western New York thing. Yeah, but especially in Buffalo. I mean, it's probably not as big of a deal in college towns because all their students are gone. That's why it's a bigger deal in the cities where people live. Right. I mean, but I assume it's a huge deal in like New York City. Oh, absolutely. Right. Um, and, and like Wisconsin, you know, where they also like to drink and drive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So more, more breweries. I mean, you know, Peg's place. Sure. Why not? That should be their motto. Sure. Why not? Yeah. I like Peg fine. Peg's, Peg's cool. Peg's cool. Peg's cool. Ah, cheese Peg. Yeah. Al Bundy <laughs> got the hand down the pants. Oh, we, we have some breaking news, guys. What's that? By the way, uh, per the Buffalo Snooze, actually providing some real news, um, uh, Williamsville and Orchard Park, court orders, Orchard Park and Williamsville, secondary students back to school. Kids, get your ass back in the school. Get in there. Good, those lazy kids. Damn kids. Yeah. Damn kids trying to avoid COVID. 
little fuckers. Yeah, no, they're, <laughs> they're going back to school. I hope it's safe. I don't know. Yeah. I don't, I, you know, that's what I think about all this reopening stuff. I listen, even as a kid, like I wouldn't feel very confident, like not being vaccinated. <laughs> no. I, I don't know. I don't, you know, I know that it's the risk or whatever. Getting COVID for kids is like supposedly not as high, but I'd still be like scared. Supposedly. I mean, it's yeah. not, it's not zero though. Right. The, the risk. Um, but I mean, uh, on the other side of the token, it sure, it sure is a, a mental health risk for them not to be socially active, right? I'm not. I'm certainly not saying go go back to school and, and not be safe, but it's got to be tough for kids. Yeah. I'm just saying, feel for the kids. No, I, 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 well, I, I get it. I, I feel for the kids too. Yeah. Uh, you know, these are formative years. Sure. Um, but. Oh, like even last year, it's got to you know, suck I mean, not to go know, to graduation. You know, you know what's better um, than having like a little bit of time with your friends and during a formative year? What's that? Being alive. Well, being alive would be better. Like being alive would be better. Like that's my hot take for right now. I'm not that, saying that's the choice you should take. <laughs> I'm just saying feel for them because it's got to be. You know, they got to be feeling something about that. Mm-hmm. Oh, Jim, you'll enjoy this. I, I did a search for Williamsville on Twitter just to find the story, and uh, Chris Grant actually tweeted out the Buffalo news article with the, with the tweet, thank God for good judges. So that's how, you know, it's a good decision. Chris Grant said, thank God for good judges oh. about this. You know, it. you know, it's a good one. Case closed. Mm-hmm. Case closed. So the kids are going to be back in school. We're just going to keep doing this, you know, whatever. I don't know. I, I it's one of those things. I, I, I'm not a scientist. I don't know. I hope for the best. I guess expect the worst after a year of doing this uh, garbage. But, but, um, Jim, you got a little anecdote for us before we hop into... I I do. um, One of my friends, his son is like, he's like a freshman in high school in Chictawaga. And he wants to do this thing called the Youth Citizens Police Academy. (laughs) What's this, Jim? So here's the description, the the official description. The town of Chictawaga Police Department's Youth Citizens Police Academy is a program for high school students considering a law enforcement career at the local, county, state, or federal level. The primary purpose of the academy is to acquaint the students with the various functions of the town of Cheektowaga Police Department, pulling over black people. Uh, the students will also discover the minimum, minimum, minimum qualification training requirements, and daily responsibilities of other county, state, and federal law enforcement agencies through guest speakers and tours of the facilities. Students will view actual pictures and video of crime and accident scenes, have the opportunity to take the actual physical fitness test required for police officers, can be exposed to the taser, and will take part in firearms training simulator and shoot the Chictawaga Police standard-issued handgun. In addition to these regular scheduled sessions, students will ride with an officer for an eight-hour tour of duty and participate in a courtroom observation. It's a two-week academy going from 9 to 3 in July. Uh, parental consent is required for students <laughs> to participate in the academy. Well, well, decades ago, they wouldn't let Ralphie with a BB gun. If you didn't think of hangover when he said taser, something's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I I just hope when they do the uh, the handgun training that they train you the difference between a handgun and a taser. It's I guess not as clear cut as it used to be. <laughs> yeah. Subtle difference. 
So, uh, uh, so my my friend has this moral dilemma as to whether or not he lets his kid do this. Does uh, his kid want to? His kid wants to do this, and mostly because he wants to shoot a gun. Yeah. I was like, well, we can go to my cabin. Sure. <laughs> it's probably safer. Right. I make sure he'll, he knows where the safety is. and like, <laughs> I'm sure the cops don't know that. Right. Very dystopian. I've got, I've got one more thing to add to the news of the week. Mm. So New York state lawmakers are aiming to create a safe, safe staffing standards for nurses in the area. I just wanted to mention that. So, you know, establishing a minimum patient to nurse ratio, among other things. So shout out to the nurses. This past year, it's got to, it had to have been tough. Oh yeah, for medical workers, doctors, nurses. So hopefully that that goes through for them. Yeah, I hope we get some relief for uh, the frontline medical workers. Sure. Um, you know, you know what else would be nice is if we paid them. It'd be great if we paid them, wouldn't it? Right. I would yeah. love that. Yeah, it's one of those professions that you could literally tell me any any amount of money, and I'd say that's not enough. Right. Mm-hmm. Like you could you could throw out any dollar figure what I think a nurse gets paid. And I would say that's not enough. Right, right. Double it. Right. Because, like, like, oh, like, the nurses have to go and back, and like, around and do things like, like, okay, I gave this guy his shot. I washed this guy's ass. I helped <laughs> this guy get out of bed. It. Right, yeah. yeah. And, like, they, they do all these things. Like, if you've ever been in the hospital and had a nice nurse, you, I, I bet you wish, like, I- eternal riches on them. Mm-hmm. They're just so great. And that's just for, like, the people who are in the hospital who have something going on. And that's not to say, like, they're like, oh, I, I also comforted, like, this person's husband. Yeah. Uh, I, I, you know, I assuaged the fears of their loved ones. Like, fucking nurses. Jeez. Yep. That's that's my official statement on nurses. Fucking nurses. Fucking nurses. Jeez. Jeez. Yep. That's uh, St. Bonaventure has a nursing program now. They should use as their tagline. <laughs> Better write a letter. Tro- Trocare has been doing it for years. <laughs> yeah. Their their tagline is "Hello Nurse." Hello, Hello Nurse. Hello Nurse. Hello as an nurse. alum, you got some pull at Bonaventure. You should mm-hmm. mention that. That's well. I'll, I'll see what I can do. <laughs> All right. Well. Rusty and Jason, thank you for joining us for News of the Week, but now we get uh, you know into the, the real meat and potatoes of why we have you guys on, um, because you both actually had a very interesting op-ed in the Buffalo News, one of the few interesting things I'd say I read in the Buffalo News as of late. Um, Appreciate it. Yeah. So you're, you, you wrote um, an opinion piece basically calling for a, a rights-based charter for the city of buffalo and i was intrigued because you know it's one of those things where when i think of political actors and i think of you know politics and things the city charter isn't isn't the first place that i go to so tell me why i'm an idiot tell me why give me (laughs) get smash me in the face with no you dummy it's all about the charter ah well um i guess how long do you want me to go how much time do i have oh you can cook baby go (laughs) go for it right right Let's um, let's get Michelle in there rubbing your shoulders so you can keep going. <laughs> uh, we've got a two month old, so if she's getting some sleep, I I, I hope that's the case. Yeah. Um, but all right, so so the charter, why the charter? Um, I, I guess uh, I'll start by zooming out a little bit, and if we think about you know all the shit that's wrong with society and the ways that we you know try to get change to happen, there are three broad approaches to making change happen. 
One is advocacy, right? That's people, unfortunately, like me, who might have um, a small, marginal, tiny fraction of expertise on something. And so they do some research, they write about something, um, they find what might work better, and they they try to, to blast it out there to elected officials, to you know anybody with a, a small amount of power to say, this is what we should do. They're advocating for some sort of a change. The second approach is mobilization. And that's where you see a lot of people in the streets. That's where you see a lot of people where you move them for some reason to come out and say that something is wrong. They don't always have the infrastructure behind a mobilization campaign to take power and to say that we're going to change this and we're going to be the people in charge. But there are people that mobilize for a reason that you know they see something wrong in society and they say that we should change this. Those mobilization campaigns often you know, are kind of like advocacy too. They appeal to power. They say that we want you to change this, or we want to change the person in power. We want to elect somebody new. The third approach is organizing. Now, the first two, advocacy and mobilization, you know, what that really is, it's based on this model of power called the, the power elite. That was really, you know, a term that was coined back in the 1950s. But that's the idea that people with power, the elite, are the ones that can make change in society. So again, we either appeal to them and we ask them to change policies, or we try to change them. And then the people that we install, we try to get them to change policies. And so it's all based on this model that the elite are the ones that make the rules and enforce the rules. The organizing model is about taking that power. It says that ordinary people should have power, right? that ordinary people are the ones that can come in, build institutions, understand what's wrong in their communities, um, and find creative solutions to them. Right? So the difference between those first two and the third is really this confusion between uh, what, what you could say is power and what is access. Right? So you have organizations, think tanks, academics out there that think that they can nudge up close to elected officials or politicians, provide them with some key research and say, change this. That's access. You might get some concessions out of that. You might get some marginal policy changes, but you don't actually change the structure of the system. You don't change the way that the rules are made. You don't make new rules, basically. You still play by the old rules. You just get a little piece of the pie for yourself. Organizing is all about actual power, building real power to make and enforce the rules yourself based on local conditions and what you want. And so we always get through these processes where we have people that mobilize for something. We have advocates out there saying that we should do something. Maybe we'll get a small policy change, um, like maybe we'll get something like body cameras for police or something like that. These tiny reforms that in the end don't actually change the structure of the system. In another year, another six months, we're talking about the exact same issue again. And so Jason and I, we've been arguing this approach that you know, rather than just doing that and spinning around on this wheel, look to the place where power is, is sort of being derived from. And so for many policies, <laughs> city of Buffalo, the United States of America, it's in their founding documents. Um, so when you look at something like the Constitution or the city charter, their powers are enumerated. Who can make rules? Who can enforce rules? Um, basically, who has the power to make change? Right now, that's held with this elite model that we have elected officials who can make and enforce rules and make change. We don't really have power for the people. And so Jason and I are arguing one way that you can actually get that power that's, you know, when organizing campaigns are successful, ways that you can institutionalize those successes is by making space for that in the founding documents of a city or a government at, at any scale, um, and allowing people to then take control after they have a successful organizing campaign. So the charter becomes this basis from which other forms of power flow. And if you change who can make and write those rules, then you can get start to get different outcomes and not spin on the same wheel and talk about the same issues over and over again. So that's sort of the, the elevator speech of, of why the charter. <laughs> 
And then we can get into some specific examples, but that's sort of the 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 theory and the the meta analysis behind it. And so you guys chose the city of Buffalo because the U.S. Constitution is too hard. Uh, well, I, I mean, I I, 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 I would not come in here and swear an oath to uphold and defend the Constitution. <laughs> Obviously, I'm acting in my own power and not um, representing any employer. But I, I mean, I, I'd be happy to talk about the Constitution as well. <laughs> So, I mean, this is definitely, um, I, I think this is definitely something where a lot of people agree with you and are also like, how the hell do we even think about doing that? Um, and, and and not to discredit the idea in any way, that's not where I'm going with this. I'm just saying, like, it does seem like a pretty daunting task to sort of transfer that, um, that top-down power structure, like you mentioned there, Rusty, to more of what sounds like a bottom-up, um, organizer based structure, I guess if, you know, if you want to get into the specific examples, you could, but really like who, who would be, cause as we're talking about the city of Buffalo and, and we're reimagining the charter potentially here, um, I mean, who would stand to gain or like who, if, if you could just sort of map out for us, like if we changed the city charter to look like that organizer base, that, that bottom up model, who would be some like who would who would benefit and why why would that be a good thing if you have yeah, any specific uh, ideas that's a great question I'll, I'll let jason jump in here too but i'll kick it off by saying um well number one changing the charter is not impossible because the city of buffalo did it back in 2000 when they went from 11 or 13 council members however many it was down to nine that took a big charter revision to do so there's historical precedent here that's kind of recent as well um but who stands to gain all right so Right now, the way that the charter is is written, it's sort of this hodgepodge of, um, you know, just tacked on uh, clauses and statements um, as things change, right? As we adapt, it tends to be a rigid document, and it doesn't allow for a lot of flexibility to do things differently or to ma imagine things differently. It houses a lot of power with, again, sort of the elected officials, the council, or the executive office, um, and it creates some you know, room for citizen participation, but usually in the form of, of advisory committees, you know, committees that have no real power to actually make or enforce rules. Um, so I'll give you a, a, an example, not from Buffalo, but from another place. So um, there's this broader community rights movement about rewriting charters that are rights-based charters. Um, it really has its epicenter in the state of Pennsylvania, where I'm from, um, but it's it's in a lot of rural communities that we're standing up to the fracking industry, that basically you have these multinational corporations that are coming in that have the money to buy land and then apply for permits. Um, they make sure the permits are okay, and then they have the right to, to drill and frack and maybe poison the water of the rest of the community. And so you had a lot of communities standing up to that and saying, no, we don't want our water to be poisoned. How do we block a corporation from coming in and doing this? How selfish so, that they don't want their water to be poisoned. <laughs> right. I, I mean, they really didn't think about the profits. Yeah. The program. Right. So when you, you look at, you know, this this answer of why do we have this pattern? Why do corporations kind of get to do what they want wherever they want, no matter, you know, the, the sort of aftermath and who gets caught in the crossfire? Um, the reason is because our founding documents are really written for that, right, to protect commerce and to protect private property and, and give corporations, give the wealthy that can control land the right to do what they want with that land. And so communities like Grant Township in Pennsylvania decided, you know, one way we're going to attack this 
this is by changing our charter, making it rights-based, and declaring that our community has the right to clean water. Our community has the right to ban fracking if it wants to. And so Grant Township did just that. They rewrote their charter. Um, in their charter, they declared that all citizens have a right to clean water, fresh air, all this great stuff. And they explicitly banned the practice of fracking from the township. Well, of course, the corporation with deep pockets challenged that, took it to district court, where their law was struck down because it regulated commerce, right? It was it was interfering with private business and private practice. So, of course, we can't uphold that. That's not a valid law. Cast it away. The state of Pennsylvania allows fracking. Um, municipalities are the children of the state. So that means our kids can't do what we say they can't do. Um, and so this broader movement has emerged from saying, well, this is, is wrong. Why can't we start rewriting some of these founding documents and loosen the rules so that actual people can control their land and their communities and make decisions that aren't going to poison their families or their kids? Right. So that's where all of this comes into play. The city of Buffalo, um, you know, I, I'm not going to to stand here and say it's the most perfect or or even a, a semi-perfect charter, but their charter is also written in this way that if you want to do something as a community, it's really hard. And the specific example here that Jason and I talk about all the time um, is with vacant public-owned land. So land that's basically owned by the city of Buffalo that can either become an eyesore because people dump on it, um, or it's just there, right? It's value that's sort of captured and, and locked into the community where nothing is happening because the city is waiting to sell it to a private developer who can come in and, and pay the city money um, and then either hold it for whatever reason or develop it right away and, and start to try to generate some tax revenue. When you probably have a lot of community groups that are saying, well, we could turn that into a community garden. We could make that into a park space. We could use that land for something to create value in the local community. And every time that they try to do that, the city says, nope, there are rules in the charter and in state law that say we have to sell this for the highest and best use for market rate. So we're going to wait for a developer because they'll pay more than a community group could pay. Right? We can't give anybody away um, access to this land for free because that would violate all of these founding documents and all of that jazz. So really, communities that are organized that know what they want stand to gain from this. And so why you can't just go out and revise a charter and say we're going to turn the keys over to citizens is because that does require that knowing what we want. It requires organizing, that third way of affecting change that I was talking about. It requires building you know, people into organized units so that they can discuss in sort of a democratic fashion what they want out of their community, what they want out of the public land that they technically own in their community because they're taxpayers, um, and how can they actually make that happen without running into this brick wall of highest and best use and, and, and pay the highest market value. So I've talked a lot. Jason, you probably have a lot to say on this too. <laughs> What can I fill in after that? I always tell people that Rusty and I are basically the, the two two professors in, in Goodwill Hunting. He's Professor Lambeau, and I'm <laughs> Professor McGuire. Like, I'm just here to carry <laughs> Rusty's water. Um, it's, you know, I think our, our approach originates, I think, from a need, right? I mean, it, when we think about the challenges we face in the city of Buffalo, um, you know, and Rusty brought up the lots question, and, and you know, we, we dabble a lot in, in access to, to land and, and the affordable housing system. And, um, you know, we've sort of collectively, the two of us have, have really sort of grabbed onto this reality about systems thinking, right? That, that at the end of the day, we have sort of two options in the policy arena. If you think about what Rusty sort of started with, which is this idea that we can advocate for things. Um, which is the same that planners do, which is advocating for fixing one house that needs to be boarded up and preserving it, right? But that doesn't fix the, that just addresses the sort of symptom of the systemic problem. It doesn't 
address how it is that we arrived at that outcome in the first place. So when we were having this ongoing conversation about how do we get people who need access to these lots access to these lots. So, you know, constantly get calls from um, in, in outreach from from numerous nonprofits in the city of Buffalo who rely on a vacant land for the major input into what it is that they do. Um, finding it really, really hard to access what is a large portfolio of public owned land, about 7,200 vacant lots. Um, and so, you know, then the city sort of picks which nonprofits are play well in the sandbox and they get their lots and the others don't. And so our, our thought was, um, you know, how do we change this system? And my original <coughs> idea was much sort of simpler, I think, than Rusty's sort of explosive idea, which was, can we just get a referendum on the ballot that somehow democratizes this thing? And then that evolved into Rusty sort of really going far beyond that, which was, well, while we're at it, why don't we think about revising the whole shooting match because the whole thing's not working. And, you know, that idea of sort of democratization of a democracy, which seems sort of counterintuitive, um, is sort of the, the heart of the work that we've been trying to do and the ideas we've been trying to push around um, on land and housing in the city, but also when we think about where we are as a community and where we are as a country, um, this gets to questions of, um, you know, how we police our communities, the things we started talking about, Sanaya Dennis, and, you know, the, the, the fact that we're losing young people for community and health, uh, public health and, and mental health issues. You know, we think about why we have a lot of these problems. We felt like the, the charter in and of itself can help us address a lot of these issues, either directly um, through systemic changes or indirectly through improvements to the existing system so that we can avoid continuing to battle these outcomes. And I think Rusty's point is spot on, which is, you know, if you like, you know, the idea that it's too hard, I think we're beyond the point in the city where we should ever consider something to be too hard. The, the life in the city's been too hard since 1945, right? I mean, and the reality is it's been a constant battle for, you know, 80 years in this community. Yeah. The idea that we can't put in the effort and the wherewithal in the short term to improve the situation down the road is akin to why we're in this situation in the first place, is we love to apply Band-Aids, right? And people in power love to apply Band-Aids because that keeps them in power. Um, you know, when Rusty and I have been hearing in the last week or so that, you know, the council is not interested in democratizing anything, right? So, like, we've pushed out this 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 uh, another voice in the news, and we've we've tried to to push this idea that um, the city needs to address vacant land in the community by seating a committee that looks at how we address vacant land, and and the idea that they sit a committee um, of experts and community stakeholders and neighborhood organizations that look at strategies to reuse and dispose of vacant land. Um, is anathema to power. They don't want anything to do with sharing the decision-making about what is a public asset. So for us, it's really about thinking, how do we change the system? And if we're the only voices doing it, um, then of course we're going to struggle, right? Um, but I think what you have is a candidate in the city, I'm not getting political, that looks to change, right? The idea that change is, is possible. Um, we have one candidate who's interested in that conversation. Um, and then we have one candidate who's interested in controlling power in a, in a mayor, in a powerful mayor system of government, right? If you think about the system of government at Buffalo, most power, um, true power, is absolutely sequestered in the mayor's office. The council is just legislative and it has no teeth or backbone. Um, so, you you know, for us, it's always about sort of how do we fix the entire system rather than apply another Band-Aid. Yeah, no, and Jason, that that's a, that's a great point. And I mean, it goes without saying that 
you know, we're, we're of the belief that everything is political, not to the point that we're insufferable. I, I like to think we're not one of those like I, I might be Ryan's a little insufferable, but, you know, otherwise, the rest of us are just like normal people who understand that everything is political. But I, I do I do think you're right. I mean, like there seems to be a learned helplessness of the Buffalo Common Council where there, it, it always seems to come back to like, well, our hands are tied. And, uh, you know, what Rusty mentioned earlier, like basically that there's this, oh, well, it's the city charter. You know, it's it's something ensconced in law. We can't mess with it. And it just seems to be the really the defining strategy, honestly, of the council. We're just like, well, yeah, can't mess with that. Um, you know, our, our hands are tied. And I think you're right that in the mayor's race, we do have, you know, two two candidates who perhaps have different views of this sort of structure of power. So, I mean, let's name them. Like, I think India Walton's campaign would probably be on board with what you guys are talking about here. Uh, to my knowledge, I don't know if she's advocated or come out in favor of changing the city charter. Um I'm not asking you guys to be our political pundits here, but let's say you were a political candidate of her ilk or, or in her shoes. Like, why would that be something that you, if you wanted to be an effective mayor of Buffalo, which I think India Walton wants to be, why would you advocate for that? So Miss um, Walton has come out and, and sort of publicly uh, stated her intentions uh, just in this past week with sort of the, the short turnaround. That's part of the news of the week that, uh, that I was paying attention to with the city budget, it came out on a Friday and then the council announced that the comment period would end on a Monday. So it was this really, you know, very short turnaround and here's the budget. Um, you know, if you have any comments, get get them to us over the weekend, but we've got to approve this thing right away. Um, and so in response to that, she came out and, and not only called for an extension of that review period for citizens, but also basically put her stamp on saying that I would institute participatory budgeting, which is a model um, where basically any citizen or, or any resident of the city can come forward and uh, put forward a proposal saying this is what I'd like to see money spent on in the city of in the city of Buffalo's budget. Um, and at various workshops held over, a you know, however long of a time period that other citizens vote on those proposals and citizens decide you know what should money be spent on where and, and when and how much um, and so that is part of sort of of what Jason and I are talking about in, in turning power over to ordinary people it's you know getting away from that just advocacy or mobilization sort of a, a path to change and building an organization building the infrastructure to do participatory budgeting could lead to wider expanses of, of democracy inside of the city where you can then get control over not just budgeting but over you know potentially what do we do with city assets or city-owned land um, or, or anything else so that is you know certainly a starting point and it's a path you know, it's it's what the the uh, academics like to call non-reformist reforms it's a reform that could be implemented in the here and now because Buffalo actually has done participatory budgeting twice in its recent past, um, but it's you know done so in a way that it's not just reinforcing the system that we have. It's not a concession in this system. It's actually building toward a new system, and so that is you know part of part and parcel of what Jason and I are talking about here is um, a city charter is just a code, right? It's writing a code for a better system. Right now, the code that we have kind of sucks because it's giving us the same sorts of problems over and over again. And so if we can reprogram that in a way that makes participatory budgeting not in you know abnormal 
normal thing because one mayoral candidate does it or one, you know, let's say new mayor does it one time in, in one year, but make that actually institutionalized and part of the yearly annual process for budgeting, you know, all of a sudden you have this world where new possibilities can happen, where, where you have, um, you know, communities that can take control over their or, or more control, at least over their own lives and their own spaces. I think there's also this interesting reality. We, we always, I think what we have in Buffalo and in a lot of these sort of older machine Rust Belt cities is this idea that um, we build consensus in the first Tuesday in November, and then politicians take that consensus and they run with it for four years, which is that it cannot be challenged or, or critiqued. Um, and so the idea that anybody steps in and says, well, we, this should be a democracy, the other, you know, four, almost four, four full years. Um, is really offensive to the machine and the system here now. So, you know, and and I think the point you made about sort of learned helplessness in the in the council, I don't think it's learned helplessness. I think that that's like a victim's position. Somehow, I was unfortunate enough to have to figure this out, and I'm just sort of helpless in this in this system. I think what you have in the city of Buffalo with the council is um, a lack of accountability. Right? They can merely point to the, the mayor and say, "Well, we have no power to change any of this thing. We're just a legislative branch." And so that idea isn't helplessness. It's actually a, it's an artifact of the way the system was designed, and it gives them shield all the time. So you've stripped them of their, what is really, well, they've made it seem like you've stripped them of their power, um, and they run with that. So the idea that, well, we can't do anything because it's the mayor is not actually, in factually true. It's just a convenient excuse and shield that they use and throw up all the time when they, when they don't want to challenge the mayor. Right. And, and that's something that we tried to point out explicitly in the op-ed is that um, you know, the city of Buffalo is a, a home rule city. So by New York State municipal home rule law, the council has a lot of power. They have the power actually to change the charter mm. or to, to see the charter commission of, of actual citizens on the ground or activists uh, you know, on the ground who are, are doing the day to day work um, who could then take a look at the charter and propose a new one. So the council has that power. The mayor has that power. And, you know, in fact, all residents of the city of Buffalo have that power if they um, if you can find organizers to go out and run a petition drive. Well, so I, I, I remember that from your uh, op ed is that, you know, like the mayor, the common council or you know, citizens can run a petition so it's it's not easy but it's not impossible exactly i, I mean it, no. it it takes effort I, I remember when i worked at the board of elect board of elections when um jimmy griffin ran his petitions to do a recall of tony massiello That's... and, <laughs> and that wasn't easy but it wasn't impossible but do you need like 15 percent of the uh um, of of the turnouts to sign to sign petitions, yeah, yeah. So that's about the same requirement then. But the interesting thing about the the charter is that you only need. Well, I thought it was seven percent of the turnout for the gubernatorial. So the gubernatorial, right? Doesn't the gubernatorial election run on a non mayoral, non county executive year? So the turnout in the city of Buffalo is really low. Yeah, well, so it, now stagger their races basically sets it up perfectly to actually need a lot less. Um, Qualified signatures on a ballot to get it um, to get it on the on an actual uh, on the actual ballot is is I think what was the number we came up with it was it was relatively well, minor. Yeah, I don't remember it off the top of my head. But it was small. I mean, it's doable. It's <laughs> doable. Gubernatorial race in New York is not only not the same as a local election, but it's actually up with the midterms. It's not the same as a presidential election. It's always up with the midterm election, so you don't have presidential turnout. Yeah, or in Erie County because the 
the president the the mayoral elections on an odd year, and so it automatically in the city of Buffalo the big race is not in a year when the governor's race is. Correct. So what you have is not a huge turnout. And so the number, when we uh, we went back and looked at the last gubernatorial, I want to say it's somewhere in the teens in terms of total, um, you know, 15,000, 16,000 total signatures you'd need. It's not monumental. It's not like you need, you know, 100,000 signatures to get this on the ballot. You need right, a lot. So that's, yeah, and then that's part of sort of the institution building and organizing, because if you're going to get 15,000 signatures for something, that means you're contacting people that weren't part of the movement that didn't, you know, had no, you know, maybe were affected by a problem, but had no idea that there was a, a large social justice movement in the city of Buffalo that get brought into it, that signed something, that decide to follow it. Um, and those are people then that you can call in and have at a public forum or a meeting who become you know, potentially repetitive consumers of this information and per, uh, repetitive participants in, in processes like this. And then when you have that level of participation already, so people participate to the degree that they understand something. And so if you're out there running uh, uh, you know, a ballot initiative to get signatures and informing people and, and engaging in public education about the process, they become more interested. They gain an understanding, they participate more. It's a feedback effect. And so then you're starting to build organizations and institutions that can actually take power once you rewrite the charter. Yeah. You know, I was thinking, I, I thought about this a lot in the wake of like Donald Trump and uh, the 2020 election, but there was such an energized political movement in this country. And I, I still think it's there, by the way, but it would just be a shame to squander that, like even in the city of Buffalo, where we saw the the pro mass protest movements um, last summer, certainly um, there have been plenty of, I'd say, invigorated political movements here that something like this would really give them an actual tangible outlet, right? Because we're talking about reimagining it to be a rights-based charter where you can focus on, you know, we have a, a tangible goal. And so I think, like you said, um, uh, Rusty, like empowering people to have that actual like goal that they can reach for. Cause a lot of, a lot of like the, the councilmatic structure, the, the local government structure just seems like very occlusive by design. Like you're a normal person, you know, you have a mayor, you know, you have a council member, you don't really know what they do. Like you, you honestly, like, you know, they exist, you know, that there's something they do. If you're a normal person, who's not like hyper fixated on this stuff, like us, you're like, I, I think they could help me when I'm in trouble with something, but I don't know for sure. Um, but really having like a, a charter or something you could point to where you're like, yeah, you know, you have a right to affordable housing or you have a right. right to clean water gives you like a goal and you could go to your council member and be like, why aren't you doing that? <laughs> where, yeah, no, where are you? That's, that's exactly right. And so, um, you know, you, you said it perfectly that basically we know that there's, uh, there are people in power there that if we get into trouble and we're looking to to get help with something, that we go to them. And then sometimes, right, we do get help with that one thing. We might get money for our community association. We might get that sidewalk repaired. Um, and so that's sort of this reactive approach to policymaking. That um, we have a problem, we repair that problem, we pacify the people, and then we get their vote, we secure their vote. And so that's, you know, uh, often, you know, even how mass mobilizations can work, that we go, we demand change, and maybe 
Um, you know, a firm like Google will say that it's going to to do more hiring of persons of color um, because they're responding to mass mobilization. Or um, you'll have a, a city that says that they're going to put more persons of color in board seats or, or on citizens commissions or things like that. Um, and that's really not a solution because all that's doing is reinforcing that exact same system that gave you the problems that you're out there mobilizing against. And so we're trying to attack the problem sort of at the roots underground um, rather than than wait for um, you know the uh, the band-aid to fall off to to use you know the same terms that Jason was earlier so you know we, we were talking about this before the show and we're all I mean I'll speak for everybody on the podcast today I think we're all rooting for India Walton or you know root, rooting for her uh, policy positions although I like her personally she's great but let's just say in the the scenario where she doesn't win okay like let's say we're stuck with with Byron Brown and and the same the same old same old all right is there any incentive for even a Byron Brown or the the folks who are currently in power to maybe rethink their position or strategy like even if you're just the most cynical power loving you know I want to retain my power would there be any reason to maybe keep an open mind about uh, a rights based charter no. No. Why, why would there be when you've won? If you win another election and you've won back to back to back to back elections, where's the incentive to do anything different? Like you've, he's been given permission for his entire mayoral career to do the bare minimum, right? So where's there's no incentive. And if he somehow woke up one day and decided he's done, he's he's going to win this last election and it's going to be his last term, and suddenly he turns altruistic, then shame on him. Shame on him for doing what he's done for all for his whole career. Then in his last year, his last term, when it doesn't fucking matter if he gets reelected again, he suddenly wakes up and says, you know what? I'm going to act like I give a shit. Right. It's just not there's no incentive at all for that to happen. And by the way, I looked up the numbers um, in the city of Buffalo, there was 71,590 ballots cast in the last gubernatorial election. So at 10 percent, it'd be 7,100 signatures and at 20 percent, it'd be 14,000. 7,100 or 14,000. Not a big lift. Right. So, guys, I'm, I'm the dumb one on the podcast. It seems like if Byron Brown does win this election cycle, the easiest path forward for a new charter would probably be for a, a run of petitions, right? That's right. Yeah. yeah. And so that, that's actually the way um, we, we tried to frame it out in a, a slightly longer piece that we linked to in the op-ed um, that, that tried to, to put forward almost a strategy that, um, you know, while the mayor or the council could impanel a commission um, that could take a look at this and propose a new rights-based charter, um, the, citizens, uh, the, the, the citizens' initiative, the ballot initiative, uh, might actually be the best way in the long run because that would require extensive organizing and public education. And that's almost institution building in and of itself. So that way you're not just saying, we want to change the way that power relations exist in the city of Buffalo, but we actually have a plan for when those power relations change of who can take power and who can slot into these roles. So there's really sort of no break in the action that you're not just thinking, we, you know, it's not one of those political syllogisms that we need to do something, so we're going to do this and then see how it plays out. You actually have the long game right you're starting to to get people in, involved and interested and you have the organizations being built that can take and exercise power once it's actually bestowed on them yeah yeah so you're building civic infrastructure through that process rather exactly. than allowing the city to what the city would do is they would want to do a charter revision and then they would want to impanel every single every single group that gets 
chosen to, to look at land use or housing or economic development or whatever, they would put their people on that. And it would be a repeat of the same stuff. Those right. people would be told what the, how the, the, the sort of democratization of that given sort of silo would be undertaken. So Rusty's absolutely right. Like a grassroots approach is a better approach. The reason the reason I asked if, you know, uh, a political figure like Byron Brown would ever really have incentive or um, ever really want to do this. Like, yeah, I'm kind of an idiot. Of course, you guys are like, fuck you, dude. But but also just to underscore the point that, like, look, we can't expect to keep doing the same thing and, you know, not get the same answer. I guess that's really like. I, I was trying to play devil's advocate, but I, I look like an idiot. But I, no, you're, no, that's, you know, you're spot on because I, I mean, that's just the problem, sort of at, at any scale of of governance. And you know, I, I hate to harp on it, but I, I mean, just to to even go back to sort of uh, the nation as a whole. I mean, we have civil rights legislation because of of commerce, right? So if you think about the the Civil Rights Act um, and trying to end discrimination at, at public places or, or anywhere else and racial discrimination, the reason that that exists, um, the power for that is based in the Commerce Clause of the U.S. Constitution, right? That it was because places that were discriminating against persons of color either got materials, got supplies from other states, or because they were doing business with people who crossed state lines to eat at their restaurant or stay at their hotel. Uh, the Supreme Court in 1964 in, in Katzenbach versus McClung, right, they held up the Civil Rights Act because... It, it involved commerce, right? So we have civil rights because it was easier to say that discrimination is part of commerce and bad for business than it was to actually make a moral argument and say that all people should be treated equally, right? right? And so if that's baked into your founding documents, you know, if we scale that back down to the city of Buffalo and if sort of these power relations, these imbalances of power are baked into our founding documents, no matter what reforms or, or spice or pepper that you put on what we have right now, eventually over time, you're going to circle right back to where we are now. You know, uh, you you bring up the civil rights, and it, it makes me think of uh, when I was in college and I, I took uh, a class on ethics. We had, as part of our final grade, we had to do a, a, a debate in class on a different topic, and we were assigned the topic, and then we were assigned our side. So I was assigned animal rights, and I was opposed to animal rights as my as assignment. <laughs> and... I told the other people on my team to not worry about what I was going to argue, just practice themselves. I had a different argument because I argued that animal rights didn't make sense because of commerce, <laughs> because of individual property rights and the ability to petition the government that animals didn't have that right. And so because they didn't have that right, the idea that, that they would have individual rights is moot because there's no way to enforce it in the court system. So it wasn't Sublime versus 311 or Brittany versus Christina Aguilera. Right? It seems like it was something a little more meat. Yeah. Oh, man. Dude, dude like, I, I Commerce Clause stuff aside, like, I think about it, I always come back to, and maybe this is my sick, twisted brain, marketing brain or something, but I always think about how Buffalo wants to market itself as, like, the new on the cusp city, even though yeah. we do things like fucking 70 years in the past. But man, like this would be an actual on the cusp thing. Like this would be a very forward thinking thing where look, if you're a city like Buffalo, where there's a lot of latent potential, but you have to think of 
new and sort of different ways to like market yourself or, or I don't know, like sell yourself to the world. Like I, I know it's, it's so tired at to, this point to be like, Oh, who's going to be the next Austin, Texas. To be fair, we don't have a blockbuster still. We don't have a blockbuster. <laughs> no, that's gone. But I, again, I know it's pretty lazy to say like, Oh, what cities are going to be like the next Portland, Oregon or the next Austin, Texas. But like, I don't know to have Buffalo become a city that we could put on the map or on the rise. Like this sounds like it'd be a pretty, it, it would get a lot of people talking about Buffalo and Hey, a lot of, I, I guess, socially minded folks like could look at Buffalo as sort of a beacon for the rest of the country. Um, Rusty, uh, you, you mentioned, <laughs> I love that dead air. Rusty, <laughs> you, you mentioned though, I mean, aside, aside from in Pennsylvania, I'm going to edit that out. <laughs> are, are there, <laughs> have there been any larger cities? Like, have there been any, any cities on Buffalo scale that have accomplished what we're talking about? Like, is this, is there precedent? Yeah, great question. So, um, well, the, the city of Pittsburgh actually passed back in 2010, uh, they amended its charter to create a rights-based charter. And so if you look at, I, I, you know, on a better day when I didn't have uh, the bourbon that I just had, right, I could probably tell you the actual section <laughs> of it. Um, but there, there is a, a, a portion in their city charter. It hasn't been totally uh, rewritten, but it's been amended to include um, basically a community bill of rights that talks about the, the citizens' rights in the city of Pittsburgh. Um, now, it's lacking a little bit on enforcement mechanisms, and so that's a lesson learned. But, you know, they were one of the innovators in that back in 2010. Uh, more recently, uh, you know, one city that you got to keep an eye on is, is Jackson, Mississippi. Um, so back in 2013, 2014, they elected a very progressive mayor who was part of an organizing background. Um, and he went in there with the idea of basically democratizing the city, just like we're talking about, of giving the power to people's assemblies. And so prior to him ever winning office, um, he had been a participant in organizing people's assemblies and building that organizational infrastructure of, of people making decisions democratically so that when he got into office, he could rewrite the rules so that they could take power. Now, the problem there is uh, he sort of he, he unexpectedly passed away. And so his administration came to an abrupt end um, and the immediate successor wasn't really willing to pick up where he left off, take the reins on that project. Um, but it's also a city that's chronically underfunded, right? They don't necessarily, even with their water crisis right now, um, post the, the winter storm, right? We see that they're chronically underfunded and didn't really have the means to carry out the project to the scale that they want to, though there have been numerous successes. Um, so that's a city to pay attention to that's about the same size as us uh, that has made a lot of inroads on the process. <clears throat> so I guess I want to ask a question is like, so I think you've got us all convinced that, you know, fuck it. Let's start tomorrow. Let's get let's get a petition drive going. But the problem is, is like there's five of us sitting around and four of us don't live in the city. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that's the big problem. And so that's why I, I started this whole conversation is that we sort of uh, when when we think about paths to change, we tend to have flamethrowers like me and Jason who, who don't live in the city, who love the city nonetheless, and who are out there you know, constantly doing research, trying to think about ways uh, to address some of, of the recurring issues that the city faces and, and challenges. Um, but the truth is, yeah, we don't live there. And so we're out there advocating, right? We're taking that passive path to saying, we think we, that this idea might work. Now somebody else pick up the ball. Now that's because, you know, in general, I 
am an awkward person with social anxiety issues and I'm generally unlikable. So I'm not going to be the one out there organizing and knocking on doors because I'm not going to convince anybody to do anything. Um, You're not just generally unlikable. You're genuinely (laughs) unlikable too. I know it, right? But, so, but you've convinced I, I mean, us. That, and that's part of the problem is, you know, one of the reasons why we appreciate you having us on is to get out to your listeners, right? If there are folks that are interested in these ideas, um, pretty much all we can offer is, as two aging bald guys is maybe some brain power um, and maybe some language and how the, we can start to strategize around some of these issues and maybe what a petition would look like in these regards. But we would need help because, again, um, an unlikable guy, and no offense, Jason, but a curmudgeon, we're not going to go out and <laughs> do anything. Yeah, no, I mean, I, one of the cool things about this podcast, honestly, for me, has been like connecting with like-minded people, but have like different skill sets or different ideas and stuff. Um, so having you guys had to talk about this, like, you know, this is very what we like to call vegetables type stuff. And and dear listener, you know, we give you a lot of candy, but we got to have your vegetables too. Maybe these are fruits. Fruits? We'll call them fruits. Mm. Fruits? A little sweetness, right? Yeah. There's okay. a little sweetness to this. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a little, good little for tart you. sometimes. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's pomegranate. It's, it's difficult to eat. <laughs> But it's good. It's, it gets a little messy sometimes. <laughs> right. Yeah. You're like, you don't want to use a fork. You want to use a spoon. Sure. <laughs> yes. This is the pomegranate of, uh, yeah. of of local topics. But I don't know. Like you're you're out there and you're wondering like what the hell can I what 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 can I do? Like I I live in this in this city or I care about the city or you know I'm so sick of things being like the same all the time. And I think just having different ways of viewing how we can live um, is extremely helpful. And I thank you guys really for, for coming on today again, repeat, repeat guests. I love when we had the repeat guests, like I said, um, and I thank you guys for, for coming on and, and really expanding on what was a, a very cool and very interesting op-ed. Um, any sort of final takeaways guys um, on your end? Yeah, I would, I would add that, you know, one of the things that I found, I continue to find sort of, as a potential pathway, but also as one of our big obstacles in the city is, um, is the sort of constellation of nonprofits that are really mission focused. Um, but when you really think about the challenges that every single nonprofit that doesn't really matter or neighborhood organization doesn't really matter what their um, area or mission is, um, they end up sort of always being in the tunnel, right? Looking at how do I get my thing done? But if you rallied those people together and realized and got them all under one tent or one umbrella and realized that they're all really powerful together, um, you know, if we had a legitimate umbrella organization that could collectively talk for those people and actually was willing to challenge um, existing power structures in the city, you'd have the ability to recognize that we're all, whatever role we play, Rusty and I always say we're sort of co-conspirators, right? We're really trying to agitate um, and get people to think differently. I spoke in front of uh, a uh, session last week for pe- or, uh, for uh, Preservation Buffalo Niagara, um, an organization that I don't, you know, I appreciate their work, but it's, it's outside of my area of interest or influence or any of that stuff. Um, but we have things in common. They want to save buildings and I want to save land, right? So, um, you know, getting these organizations that are sort of tangentially connected, um, working together to push something like this forward is the only way it's going to happen. Instead of the idea of what we're seeing nationally, the sort of divide this sort of massive divide where we break everybody up into sort of some group. Um, what we need in Buffalo is the groups to collectively recognize that their best interests are collective and not individual. Are you saying that you think that the United Way of Buffalo and Erie County is not a unifying force for nonprofits? 
I think Rusty knows who I was implying, but <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah, yeah, we need a united way of neighborhood and nonprofit organizations. I don't, I don't have any um, intelligent thoughts to end on, but can I plug something? Hell yeah! Oh dude. yes, <laughs> you, hey, you have a summit coming up, don't you? I, I do, and so I, I'm of course here as an individual outside of any official capacity, but I would. Um, Highly recommend. So the Cornell University Buffalo Collab is hosting a high road policy summit a week from. So we're recording on Friday the seventh. A week from today, on Friday the fourteenth, um, we'll have um, Assembly Majority Leader Crystal People Stokes, uh, Dr. Courtney McClooney from Cornell, Assembly Member Ron Kim from Downstate, um, Council Member Rivera, State Senator Sean Ryan, Dania Rahendra from Athena, an organization that perpetually challenges Amazon and who is just an amazing individual. Um, we'll have Andrew Del Monte from Cooperation Buffalo and Jonathan Johnson, who's an attorney that um, has helped a lot of worker co-ops to form here locally in Buffalo, discussing basically ideas and strategies for moving toward a more equitable and democratic society with a focus on Western New York. So um, if you're interested, we're at um, highroadpolicy.org. You can find the information to register for that event. I already registered. I hope that everybody else does. Hell yeah, dude. Why not? What do you got? Go what do you got going on? Listener, register. Right, yeah. Go. What do you got going on on Friday the fourteenth? What do you What do you think you're doing? Right. The weather's shit. Just do this. Yeah. Right. Buy a fucking ticket. It's miserable. Get off your ass free. and do it. Uh, there's no buying. It's totally free. It's yeah. free. It's free. What's What are you oh, waiting for? Oh, we can a free this, ticket. This is your chance. Who are you? Who do you think you are? This is your chance to say you went to Cornell. Yes. <laughs> yeah. They just get. You know what? You show up. I'll I'll print you out a, a degree. That's, I'll give you something that says you went to Cornell. You know what? We'll get you a free shirt. Yeah, well, paid for by those guys. Yes. <laughs> I went to the summit and all I got was his T-shirt. <laughs> no, that, that's pretty sweet. I, I, I encourage you, listener, if, uh, if you have the availability and it's free, so just go do it. Yep. All right, Jason, where can we find you on social media? Uh, I'm only on Twitter. And as Rusty says, I am a lifelong curmudgeon and cynic. Um, so it's Jason Knight PhD is the handle. So if you're looking for something angry, that's the, sp that's the place. <laughs> See Jason get his, get his fucking anger out. Rusty, are you on social media at all? I am not. No, I, I abandoned it long ago. Yeah, he's the Good asshole that got me into Twitter in the first place, and then he fucking bailed I joined us. Twitter. Okay, I joined Twitter for Yager Watch um, back when he was coming back from the KHL. And so it was very purpose-driven. I wanted to know where he was going to land, and Twitter was the best resource. Rusty, you don't have a burner. I, I feel like you've got to have, like... Some burner account that's like Seriously. yelling at Pittsburgh, various Pittsburgh uh, sports stars. Right. Like, uh, if no, Rusty I, has a burner account, just look in my follows. <laughs> <laughs> Start there. If he, if he has one, he's going to be there. Well, we're, we're not going to blow up your spot, but I, I know you're lurking. I know you're like yelling at uh, various penguins to score more goals. So, <laughs> right. You're just longing well, for the I days mean, of Darius Kasparitis. I the Sabres and put up eight, so I'm kind of happy. Oh, <laughs> man. I mean, to be fair, Williamsville North put up eight against the Sabres. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. All right, dudes. Thanks again for joining us. And uh, yeah, we will be happy to have you on again sometime soon. All right, thanks guys, appreciate it. Later. Later.